senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 99. 99. I know, it's hard to believe. <laughs> no, we're going to do special for the 100th. Uh, no. Maybe have a show on time, possibly. Oh my God. We've, we've had a good run That's the last month lofty. or so. Yeah, I, I just realized today, this is 99. I'm like, oh God, what are we going to do for the 100th? I'm like, I'm going to fucking worry about this one. I'm going <laughs> to finish preparing for this one. I'll worry about the 100th for next week. Our legendary foresight and planning. Exactly. Um, yeah, I believe I, I pitched this show maybe Friday. Yeah. Um, forcing us into a high-speed burn of, okay, you got to read these five issues plus this issue, plus we got to watch this movie. And... <laughs> yes, kids, it's a theme show. Yeah, well, it's and we haven't done one in a while, so yeah. it's kind of interesting. It's all right. The idea for this show, before we get into what it actually is, started uh, from the Crises Awards show we did a couple weeks ago, and mm-hmm. one of the awards categories that we have is worst genre movie. Yeah, and we both wanted to award it to Fantastic Four with Terminator Genesis as the runner-up, and yet, <laughs> but the problem there was a problem, and the problem is we uh. We hadn't seen either one because, yeah, uh, the smart people said it sucked and life's too fucking short and we didn't want to spend our money on it. So, exactly. so yeah, it's, we couldn't in good conscience say, yep, that's definitely the worst or this is the second worst or anything without having seen them. Since then, each of those movies has come out on Blu-ray. So now you don't have to go to the theater to see them. You know, you can get them for a couple bucks a piece out of a red box outside of a gas station men's room. <laughs> Where you don't have to be ashamed that you're renting them because anybody who sees you skulking around outside a gas station men's room will think you're doing something more innocent, like chucking out blowjobs or dealing drugs or something. Certainly not renting Fantastic Four or Terminator Genesis. So what we had decided we were going to do a couple weeks ago was we were going to bite the bullet and get shit-faced and watch Fantastic Four and Terminator Genesis and do an entire show about those. And you know there's not enough like alcohol in the world to watch both of those back-to-back, right? Uh, certainly not. <laughs> there was barely enough to watch one of them. <laughs> but yeah, we were we were going to do this last week, but th- then we managed to book Nick and Daniel, the, the holy fuck and holy fucked guys, um, for an interview. So awesome. I'm sorry I had you muted because I thought you were going to blow your nose. <laughs> because they're awesome. They are, in fact, awesome. And thank you again. Nick and Daniel, and if you didn't check out last week's show, it, it's a really fun interview. Those guys are a lot of fun to talk to. So not to kick you off this show, but certainly after this one, go back and listen to that one. And yes. it's exactly as clean and family-friendly, <laughs> family entertainment as you'd expect from this program and the creators of a book called Holy Fuck. Yeah. But uh, So yeah, we were going to do that last week. It, it didn't work out, so we figured, all right, we'll we'll put it off for one more week. It, it's no big deal. But But then a couple of things in a row happened. And one of them was when we went to our local comic store this weekend, the owner had on sale used copies of the first two volumes of essential fantastic four, which he has not had in stock for like five or six years. Yeah. I haven't seen them for a while. I don't even think they're making the essential books anymore. I think I it's like think so. epic collections now. Yeah. Which, you know, those are, I picked up one of those. One that came out last week was the uh, typhoid Mary Daredevil oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. arc. Um, which that's one of those, I have all the issues, but they're all in storage. Right. Didn't have time to read it this week because of, because of this show. But anyway, let me, <laughs> let me get back to that. 
I really liked the essentials because it would start at issue one, and as long as you kept buying volumes, you would get the whole run. run. Yeah. So this is like the first 40 issues of Fantastic Four. So we saw that, plus the final issue of Secret Wars, Secret Wars number nine, came out. So in the course of one week, it occurred to me, we could be either exposed or re-exposed, as the case may be, to the very beginning of the Fantastic Four and therefore the Marvel Universe in the same week as we're being exposed to the end of the Fantastic Four and the original Marvel Universe as created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Right. And we also could sort of take in this weird parallel universe version of the team from the movies, sort of like a tumor on the ass (laughs) of the body of work that is the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, And sort of use them all to sort of get an overall sense of where the team and Marvel had sort of started out and where they, they ended up at, at the end of it all. And even if we can't do that, at the very least, we can take the opportunity to publicly thank Disney for taking Star Wars out of the man who made fucking Fantastic Four. Sticky hands, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it's wow. sort of a theme show around the beginning of the Fantastic Four, the end of the Fantastic Four. Now, it's a, in, in full disclosure... I've always liked the Fantastic Four. There's only been very short stretches of my life when I was younger where it was my favorite comic. Probably like a year when I was seven or eight or nine. I I read it a little bit. Mostly from my childhood, I remember that there was some sort of cartoon on that that followed a character named Benji and his relationship with the Thing. Oh, I, yeah. I don't it, think I'm hallucinating this. I'm pretty sure this was a thing. Yeah, and I'm not even sure it was Ben Grimm. It was <clears throat> yeah, just some, some kid, kid named Benji. Kid named Benji. Who happened well, to have orange hair and blue eyes. And the thing I remember was he would say, thing rings, do your thing. He could turn <laughs> into the thing and he'd like either bash his rings yeah. or give someone a ring job. Some kind of ring thing would happen and he would become <laughs> the thing. Ring thing. Completely. <laughs> that's a good title. Completely divorced from the Fantastic Four. Yeah. I remember... When I was a kid, and this is probably how I, I could be misremembering, but it's probably how I got into the comic book for, yeah, that year or two where it was one of my favorites. This is probably 77, 78, 79, somewhere in there. But yeah, there was a Fantastic Four cartoon that instead of the Human Torch had Herbie, the robot. That sounds right, yeah. And from everything I've heard, it's, and this may be urban legend, but it was Herbie the robot because they were afraid kids... You know, the audience for Fantastic Four, the comic book in the 70s, (laughs) would see a a live-action cartoon, or an animated cartoon, rather, and set themselves on fire, (laughs) hoping to emulate the Human Torch. (laughs) That Part of me wants to believe that's got to be urban legend from, like, that Saturday Night Live sketch. If anybody out there knows, uh, please email us at crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Yeah, (laughs) because I'd love to know if if that was the truth or if it was just as simple as somebody else had the rights to the Human Torch character. Because the one thing that makes me think of is that uh, E. Buzz Miller, Dan Aykroyd, Saturday Night Live sketch where he was uh, was hawking dangerous... (laughs) Halloween costumes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had Johnny Human Torch, which was <laughs> which was a bag full of oily rags and a Zippo lighter. <laughs> so part of me wants to believe it was that sketch got turned into urban legend. Maybe, maybe. Because again, it's in the 70s, kids, it was mostly kids reading the comics. I, I suppose. But, I mean, comics had been around for decades before that without children lighting themselves on fire. I mean... The the original invaders had a human torch <laughs> and a little human torch, Toro. 
Oh yeah, well the Human Torch, uh, yeah, going back to uh, timely comics. Yeah, you know, back in the the golden age. <laughs> Nobody was lighting themselves on fire after reading the Invaders. Well, I don't think. Let's be fair. It was the Depression, and gasoline was very expensive. Plus, kids <laughs> needed their lighters to smoke cigars back then, or Corn so cob I'm told. Pipes or something. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Massive <laughs> amounts of weed. <laughs> Just weed and cigars. And, I guess. And huffing gasoline <laughs> <laughs> while building. Because laudanum's expensive. Yes, and playing stickball against Hitler's nuts. Or, <laughs> I've got very strange ideas of what America really do. in the 1940s really is do. like. All I know is I think kids could smoke more than me, and that makes me sad right now. <laughs> this so, is this is why you know it's important that textbooks I think are vetted by people other than the Texas Board of Education. <laughs> why they setting themselves on fire a lot down there? No, because that's like your 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 view of like what history was apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, all right. In college, I was not the most sober human being that you could hope to meet. <laughs> Or after college. Or now. Or for a certain amount of time leading up to college. This <laughs> I've done a lot of damage to my brain, <laughs> is really what I'm trying to say. But, yeah, the Fantastic Four, it had a stretch of kind of one of my favorites, and I've always liked it. It's been on my on my pull list, particularly since uh, Mark Wade and uh, Mark Warengo's mm-hmm. uh, run back in the early 2000s. And it's had ups and downs since then. And, and yeah, it, it got canceled, and it was kind of a bummer. But it's was there ever a stretch where it was your favorite comic? I don't know if it was ever my favorite comic. I I think I really started to enjoy reading it when it was in the Ultimate Universe, right when Warren Ellis started writing it. Okay, because that was a very different take on it. <laughs> yeah, it was, and it was one that I never particularly liked. And I like Warren Ellis. I like that one. I, I read had a bacterial stack for a stomach and didn't have to eat. <laughs> So do I, but that's again liquor related. <laughs> I can't stretch or touch my toes. Even. <laughs> but. but no, I don't. I don't know that it was ever my favorite favorite. Um, I, I think I was really more of an Avengers X Men kind of person when it came to the Marvel universe. Yeah, I mean my my entryway was Spider Man, mm-hmm. which I think was most people's after a certain point, maybe in the seventies or something. Yeah, because yeah, it's. I mean, what I'm getting at is everybody knows that the Marvel Universe started with the Fantastic Four and, you know, the whole story that either Stan was ready to quit and his wife convinced him to try to write the kind of comic that he always wanted or the alternate story that Stan was weeping like an idiot while movers were taking the furniture out of Marvel's (laughs) offices and Jack said, don't worry, Stan, I'll save your job. It all depends on who you listen to. (laughs) But either way, everybody knows sort of, okay, we're going to do this book. One last Hail Mary. uh, Yeah, and it really started the Marvel Universe. And everybody knows the origin of Fantastic Four. They get on the rocket. Rocket gets hit by cosmic rays. They turn into air, fire, water, and earth. And they punch Mole Man in the dick. And that's basically it. But So everybody sort of thinks, oh yeah, I I know Fantastic Four, number one. But until I got this paperback this week, (laughs) I never realized I've never read the real Fantastic Four, number one. Yeah. And I'm wondering how many people actually have. I mean, you read them all. You went in a burn today for yeah, the I first did. five. I did. Um, and I came away from the very first one going, huh. So they went through, because they don't start off with, they don't tell it in chronological order. They start off with everybody's out in the world and then Reed calls them in for their first big job. Yeah. And and then they get into the flashback. And, I, and I'm like, all right, so science, um, you've, You've gone out on this trip 
ostensibly illegally. <laughs> oh, utterly illegally. Um, and haven't been arrested or like thrown in like Reed Dunn's, labs for examination. <laughs> Reed Dunn stole a rocket. Yeah. In the space race. In the space he race. He stole a rocket and crashed it somewhere. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, predictably when they go out on that job and they come back, not that, that job, on their, their illegal rocket ride and come back, they've all been changed. Nobody has like sought them out to see, you know, what happened to the rocket or follow up with them about, are they okay? They just all go off to their lives yeah. until he yeah, shoots ben, a flare into the air. <laughs> ben Grimm hasn't showed up at his test pilot job for three or four weeks. Nobody can seem to get a hold of him. <laughs> There's a terrible shape you can see behind the blinds in his apartment and just howls of agony. But, yeah. Oh, I'm sure Benji's all right. Yeah, Good he's old... got a lot of sick time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did... Ah, oh, Sue Storm is just, she went into the ladies' room and never came Keep out. <laughs> well, maybe she bulimiaed herself right down the drain. <laughs> it's a thing we don't talk about in the 60s, but I'm sure it happened. Yeah, it just, it just, okay. So you just have to, you have to just kind of go with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, had you, did you even think that you'd read Fantastic Four number one before? I don't think, well, no. I, I mean, I think we're all familiar with the origin story because... You know, it's been out there either in other versions of the comic book or um, on television in some capacity. So in a way, you feel like you don't have to have read the official number one because you know the origin story. Yeah. See, the reason I thought I had read it because it was because I had the, the Power Records version of oh. it in the 1970s. <laughs> I've talked about Power Records before. If you were a child of the 70s and even remotely in the comic books, you had these. It was... They were roughly comic book size, but they had sort of like book leaves, and yeah. in one of them, it was a, a 45 record. So you could read the comic, and you put the record on, and it would read along with the comic with some sound effects and shit. So it was weird, because I, I don't ever remember not knowing how to read, and I was reading comics when I got these things, but I insisted upon having them, probably because, yeah, it'd have things like the origin of the Fantastic Four and stuff like that. Yeah. But I actually found... Power Records have been gone forever. I found, like, clips of the Fantastic Four one that I had. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, if you were a child of the 70s, this is probably the version of the Fantastic Four origin. Power Records presents the Fantastic Four, the way it began. As soon as I heard that, I flashed right back to being seven years old. Who's <laughs> narrating that? Is that Stanley? I have no... No, I don't think that's okay. Stan. I have no idea who's doing it. I wasn't able to find any voice credits on the thing. And I, I was not able to find, well, I did find the entire thing. I only grabbed one or two clips from it. But if you if you Google Power Records Fantastic Four, it'll come up and it actually follows along with the actual comic book. And it turns out, and DC Comics, they had some of them. Superman had some mm -hmm. and Batman. But as I recall, DC, they would create their own comic books for Power Records. Oh. Whereas Marvel would just say, uh, yeah, use this issue. So yeah. This particular issue came from, uh, I googled it, Fantastic Four 126. Uh, was written by Roy Thomas with art by John Buscema. Okay. But having looked at the the stuff back and forth, uh, the Buscema really tried to match up a lot of Kirby's stuff. But it's much more of a 70s style to the okay. whole thing. So I was sort of a shock thinking that I'd read it, seeing Kirby's original art. And Kirby's original art in the first few issues is not the... It's not the Kirby everybody pictures necessarily. It's it's very um standard work a day. This is what people this is what pretty people other than the thing look like in the sixties. Yeah, it's it's good work a day graphic storytelling. 
It's also worth noting that in the first two issues, they have no inker. They don't take on an inker until the third issue. Well, I mean, that just means Jack was doing his own. Well, no, but they don't give any inking credits. It's, it's, if you look, it's also a slightly finer line. I don't think they went out of their way particularly to trace over and make things pop as much. You know what? In the first couple of pages of the book, I think it has credits for each of the issues. Take a look and see, because they may have for archiving purposes. I, yeah, I did actually look. Added, oh, they did? Yeah. And it just, Writer, penciler, letterer. And then on the third issue, okay. when Saul Brodsky comes on, then there's an inker credit. Then Kirby must have been inking his own stuff. You, you can't print comic based on comics based on the pencils. You just you can't do it. Well, they, I mean, yeah, okay, you're right, but it's there's there's a difference <laughs> in some of these. Oh, there definitely is, and some of the inking, yeah, is yeah, it's work a day. It's not the greatest. The best inked one of, uh, I think I made it up to issue 13. The best inked one I saw was Steve Git- Ditko was doing the inks. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but now it all looks like Steve Ditko characters, <laughs> which is fine. It was an interesting kind of mix. And just see it, I forget which issue that was, but it just kind of makes you think, okay, I can see how people are like, well, who actually drew the original Spider-Man number one, Amazing Fantasy 15? That's a good question. Yeah. But uh, no, with Steve Ditko. <laughs> Kirby may have taken a run at it, but that's that's Steve Ditko, yeah. the first one. But uh, but yeah, it was it was funny to me just looking through this this Power Records thing. It's, it's, this was definitely for children. There's no need to look for these on the secondary market because he, here's like 20 seconds of the the finest voice <laughs> acting. Like the acting in this makes the acting in last year's Fantastic Four movie look Shakespearean. God. Yeah, so. really. We're more than just human. Yeah, or maybe less. But it was Reed Natch who took charge. Listen to me, all of you. We have powers now, like Johnny said. <laughs> Superhuman powers. More power than anyone has ever possessed before. In our pants. We'll need code names. Immodest as it may sound, mine will be Mr. Fantastic. Mr. Fantastic. Wait, immodest, and he's going to go with Mr. Fantastic. So really, Reed, what are we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) My name is Hiro Nakamura. I'm from the future, and I have a message for you. For a $10 all-you-can-eat testicle fest. (laughs) I I, Actually, now, shit, I got to cut that Mr. Fantastic out and put it on the soundboard so I have it. (laughs) Oh, God. I mean, honestly, between that and where is it? Uh may sound mine will be mr fantastic <laughs> i'll Jesus. never get tired of that <laughs> there's some here it is <clears throat> the fantastic four gaze in astonishment at dr reed richard's super sensitive radar scope I mean, even that sounds dirty oh it sounds filthy <laughs> what was that in your letter to penthouse reed <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was fantastic four number one <laughs> mr fantastic <laughs> I found it. I found right, dial so right it's, in on it's it. It's air, earth, fire, and penis. <laughs> uh, air, earth, no, air, fire, water. Penis goes more toward rock. That's what I'm trying to get at. I'm very tired. No, because things rock. Well, okay. They can't both be rock. No, so Mr. Plastic Fantastic is supposed to be the water element. Doesn't say a lot about his penis, does it? <laughs> Doesn't say very much at all. <laughs> so, was there anything that I was taken by surprise about some of the things from not just the first issue, but the first few? I mean, did, like, 
in the first issue, I got about five pages in. I'm like, Jesus, the thing says bah an awful lot. The thing says bah an awful lot. He does. I, what I what I took from it was this story, and he, and he does this with the Hulk. He's reaching for. I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna start off in the basis of how I would write a horror story, like if I was writing this for like Amazing Tales or um, Journey into Mystery or something like that. Some sort of let's talk about how how man should not meddle with science. Okay. But then from there, in order to to give us a heroic element, let's talk about how okay they've meddled with science, but they're heroic because they're they're able to control these newfound abilities rather than letting science subsume them. Because they have tampered with that they should have not. Well, I mean, this would have been right at the height of the the Kirby Lee giant monster books. You yeah. Know, fin Fang Foom. And you see a lot of that in this. It's as soon as they have their powers and do the flashback, the first thing they do is go to Monster Isle <laughs> to fight not just the Mole Man, but all these other critters. But all these other giant monsters that could have come straight from you know, like pilot fish to Fin Fang Foom. Yeah, no, but it just it just felt to me like, okay, let's let's you know, this is like a lot of the other horror stories that would have been in, in the era either in comic book form or in the movies. But he's trying to sort of turn it on its head and say, Okay, if they fight for truth justice in the American way, then yeah. <laughs> then it's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, character-wise, everybody was very basic and broad, at least to start with. There was yeah. some nuance that was brought in relatively quickly. But, I mean, Sue's just kind of an empty society bimbo, and Johnny's a child who likes to fix up cars, and uh, Ben says bah a lot, and he's got a hate boner for the world. And Well, Ben's got deep-seated issues because Reed even before the accident has always been smarter than him. And he's supposedly been in love with Sue, but Sue for some reason is in love with the egghead and not his big, strong strapping pilot self. Oh yeah. And <laughs> Sue as the swap around object of, I will be the motivating factor for characters in the first few issues. Sue is the Helen of Troy of the Marvel <laughs> universe. She shows up and men fight and throw down Ben and Reed. Um, and then Namor, Namor, who's just like, oh, I, I must have you as my bride that will spare the earth. <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's a certain amount of it from Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, Sue is there to be, yeah, the motivating factor for everybody yeah. around her. She, she does accomplish certain things in a couple of the issues that come up. Yeah. She and, made uh, them costumes. Go, Sue. <laughs> yeah. She did. But uh, no, she also freed them when Dr. Doom had them yeah. captive in the. Well, there's, airtight chamber. There's a reason she's the invisible girl. Not even the invisible woman. <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't get to actually be an adult. She's the invisible girl. Because it's you know if I if I just operate on the on the down low, like women should, then look how much we accomplish without you know having to be out there and loud and vocal. That's why I'm invisible. <laughs> well, it was it was interesting. If you read further along, I want to say it was issue eleven. It might have been twelve. Although I think twelve was the. Uh, was the first fight with the Hulk. But it, yeah, there was an issue that supposedly had the Fantastic Four answering fan mail. <laughs> and one of the things that apparently they got a lot of letters about was Sue didn't do anything. She was the girl hostage. She is the girl hostage. And she was just there. And what 
Reed answering fan mail said was, well, think about stories of other great heroes like Hercules uh, or, or Abraham Lincoln. Nobody talks about Lincoln's mother who was there providing support and doing all these things behind the scenes, even though she was a vital part of the story and really should be part of it. You, know, you don't hear about all the things that she does. That was the justification. It you don't was... hear a lot about Mary Todd Lincoln either because she was crazy. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> And Sue was frigid. I don't know. <laughs> she turned invisible so she wouldn't have to taste a dick. I don't know. I'm I'm speculating here. I'm I don't know. My I Freudian can avoid or... sorority rush week. <laughs> Just being invisible. <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, it was it was an issue right from the beginning, and apparently they recognized it and, and did le- nothing. I mean, as time went on, she became a much stronger character. But to yes. start with, yeah, she was just there as a motivating factor. And she had the rack that made the world burn. <laughs> <laughs> the ocean was going to overtake New York City to get a couple of handfuls of that. And you can't even see it. Like, half the time she's wearing a jacket over her top. <laughs> yeah, well, it's because she is a fancy lady. She's invisible. She <laughs> becomes invisible so that... She can go buck wild without shame. I don't get any of that in here. I don't know what you read. <laughs> I don't know. I'm extrapolating. <laughs> it was the early 60s. There was the comics code. You can only go so far. It's true. It's true. Let's face it. It starts with a rocket ride. <laughs> I don't know. But reading those first few issues, one thing that... Stri- yeah, they're, they're older. The language is a little stilted. The thing says bah a lot. He does. He's a much angrier character. He says bub. A couple of times, too, like pre-Wolverine. Well, somebody had to <laughs> sort of grease the skids for Wolvie. <laughs> but one thing I noticed is, yeah, and again, I only got through the first uh, 13 issues of this, but most of the concepts that will come to define the Marvel Universe over decades are really all in the first couple of years. Mm. Uh, you, you've got... Just the basic characters like acting like real people. And sure, it was hugely exaggerated in that first issue where people were fighting almost for no reason, but the characters were fighting and bickering right from the very beginning. Yeah, (laughs) Let's face it, this team exists because Ben Grimm was getting his, you know, his boner twitched by Sue Storm calling him a coward. Yeah. Because he didn't want to fly an experimental rocket through an unexplored radiation belt. <laughs> That's a smart fucking move. It, it was, it was, um, didn't want to be called a coward or a com or, or, um, that he was going to like back down from the commies. I'd rather lose both testicles and allow the communists to gain even a foothold in Central America. <laughs> so that was my Reagan impression. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, God. That, did you go further along in issue 13? I finally had to put it down because it's like I've burned through about five or six of these in a row. And yeah, the whole the reds and the commies. Yeah. And, oh, God, there's one issue. I forget the I forget which one. It was one of the early ones, I think, where <laughs> no, it was the one with the Hulk. It was issue 12 okay. where Thunderbolt Ross goes to the Fantastic <laughs> Four to hunt down the Hulk because there's been a saboteur at Gamma Base or whatever. And everybody's blaming the Hulk. Well, Bruce and Bruce Banner and Rick Jones know it's not the Hulk, but they can't figure out who it is. And the way they figure out which inside man it is, which filthy communist spy it is, is the Human Torch 
uses his power to pick up a wallet. And when he opens it up, the guy has a fucking membership card in the Communist Party. Oh, my God. In his wallet. A card-carrying commie. A card-carrying communist <laughs> on a government base. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. All right. It's, I get it was the Cold War. I get they were doing real duck and cover drills. Yeah. I mean, I make a lot. Of, I talk a lot of, about being in Generation X and in the 80s. And, you know, when the president of the United States says, yours is the generation going to face Armageddon. A little scary, but nobody ever fired off a siren and said, dive under your desk to simulate death. This is true. So the this 60s, is I get it, but still it's like, oh, man. We just had really? maudlin sting songs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and if it comes down to the argument about who wrote these comics, Stan or Jack, if that's the plot, neither one of them should be diving for the fucking podium <laughs> to grab the award. <laughs> They're a little dated and hard to read, some of them. but Yeah, but what I got from them is, okay, here is... Here is a real world thing that may be cause, may cause certain amount of, of, if not consternation, concern. Nuclear power or the space race or how we're affecting our environment, uh, in the Namor issue. <laughs> oh, definitely. And that's actually not something that I took down, but the whole concept of the Marvel universe as being the world outside your window. Yeah. That's there almost right from the beginning. I think in the first or second issue, they say they're in Central City yep. uh, as opposed to New York. But very quickly, it becomes Manhattan. Uh, yeah. And even then, it's like, okay, it's Central City, but it's still the space race. And uh, this was uh, issue one. The publication date was November 1961. So this was right around the time where Gregarin was the first person in space. Mm -hmm. And uh, who was it? Gus Grissom. Yeah. I think was the first American in space. That was like maybe a month later. So this was in the depths of the <laughs> commie paranoia and space, space race. race. Yeah. So, you know, with that, you know, I can see also taking seeds from if we, if we know how to write a horror comic. All right. Let's get into we've meddled with this thing and now it's affecting us physically. So what do we do in a typical horror comic? Then it all goes downhill. So how do, how do our protagonists rally? And then how do they use that power? You know, because then there's other stuff here that's just pulled straight from, you know, typical kind of fantasy things. You know, their first big bad is something from the center of the earth. You know, journey to the center of the earth was a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And giant monsters from radiation or whatever. Straight yeah. From every 50s fucking horror movie ever made. So, okay. Now we're, that's this is them turning it on its head. It's all right. We're going to take these powers. Instead of letting them get the better of us, we're going to use them to fight for good. And and we're going to defeat these archetypal 50s and 60s monsters that normally would be the, the thing that take down the planet and are supposed to teach us our lesson um, as to why we're not supposed to meddle with that that we do not understand. Oh, yeah. And it, it definitely takes a certain cue from body horror where yeah. a character has something terrible happen to him and he just goes out and stands on the moor in the rain in the lightning at midnight and screams at God. Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and even in there, there's the, the, the very typical sort of whenever Johnny goes off hot-headed and they can't find him for an issue or so. Yeah. Or, or the thing decides he's going to go off on a rampage. Mr. Fantastic immediately is like, we have to be aware of how this can impact humanity. Like <laughs> Because they're not, you know, with us where I can keep an eye on them and make sure that they are only going to use their powers for good. <laughs> uh, yeah, Reed definitely right from the beginning had the attitude of that I'm in charge and I, I'm 
I'm white American man, and I know what's best to. Yeah. I know the best thing to do, and the best thing to do is steal an experimental spaceship and fly through <laughs> an unknown radiation belt. That's right. I'm a genius. Will be Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> And moron, but, but, that's, he, but yeah. he copped that I'm an American and manifest destiny attitude. Yeah, and now now you can see where where Hickman eventually decides. No, we're just going to make him a dick. We're not going to play around. <laughs> yeah, and it's I'm interested to go through. At this point, I got reprints up to issue forty because I, I think this has gotten me interested enough. I think I'd like to read the whole run up to about Galactus. The first okay. Galactus story, because Galactus is another one. Yeah, I know all about Galactus. I don't think I've ever read the original galactus story okay so i may need to track these books down i know you can get them through used bookstores but yeah that's yeah, i think i gotta get uh essential up to five okay because it, yeah there's i'd like to see how these characters evolve because there's definitely evolution yeah uh just from the first issue up until yeah there's a little bit more of the wise cracking thing then there certainly is at the beginning where he's just, fuck you, God. I'll kill you, Reed. <laughs> Eat shit, door. Why is the door an asshole? These pants are terrible. Everything's so tight. It's it's not easy being me. But <laughs> everything's so tight. Sue. <laughs> but yeah, I'd like to see how these characters progress because my... My interpretation of them starts in the 1970s, and I think Franklin was already there. Yeah. Sue and Reed were already married, and I know the the marriage between Sue and Reed was a major event in Marvel history, but I've only seen that through the eyes of Kurt Busiek's Marvels. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird to, to be so – a huge part of my life is tied up with I've been reading these characters, and yet some of these early – apparently many of these early issues I've just never seen. So, yeah, as a – in furthering my comics education, I'd really like to get to get more of these because there's some evolution right at the beginning of these. Right. But yeah, to sort of get back to the the elements of the the Marvel universe that were just there very quickly. Yeah, I mean, within the first three issues, we got the scrolls. Yep. Uh, oh, oh, okay. So I missed that one. Um, invaders from outer space. We have Journey to the Center of the Earth, and then we have Invaders from Outer Space. Yep, almost immediately. And then we have you know the, the thing from under the ocean. Yep. <laughs> the thing from under the ocean. Uh, the mad scientist. Yep. Um, I'm not sure where Miracle Man, the the dick hypnotist. Um, well, I think that gets into sort of the the idea of of mentalists and and the mind and the the horror that can come from not being able to control your own thoughts. I can see that. My horror came from I saw Miracle Man. I'm like, wow, this early? It's, like, no, it's not <laughs> no. the same Miracle Man. Different guy. <laughs> no, but the the character um, as they as they designed him is is clearly will inform Doctor Strange later. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, it's I can see that. Not yeah. even mention it. Shit. All right, so there's that out of the gate. <laughs> By the fourth issue, we're starting to see continuity between issues. Yes. So it's it's yeah the first one because you had Johnny quit the team at the end of issue three three the Miracle Man issue right. Um, and that's the main plot point that's driving the start of issue four. They're all on the search for Johnny. Yeah, but the fourth issue, that was the first one to bring timely comics, Golden Age heroes into the Silver Age continuity to show that it is a long Marvel history that we're potentially dealing with here. Now, that's not unique to Marvel. Because um, yeah, in the first issue, 
uh, didn't Johnny talk about being like the old comic character, Human Torch, and that's yeah. why he picked the name? I think so. Um, that's also, uh, that happened in the Silver Age Flash in Showcase 4, which was uh, before Fantastic Four. He treated the Golden Age Flash like a, a comic book character. And to be fair, in Flash uh, 123, which I think that's the issue that was Flash of Two Worlds. Okay. Um, that was the issue that DC put Golden Age Flash in a continuity. Uh, and I think that was earlier in 1961. Yeah, that was 1961, and Fantastic Four 4 would have been 1962. So I guess uh, clearly Stan was reading him some DC comics, but... He, all right, in this here, they they don't reference the old Human Torch, it might, but they might later. I, I might be thinking of the the goddamn Power Records. You probably are. Shit, that's the insidious thing. That's I, for years I was sure I read Fantastic Four one, just for years. It turned out yeah. it was this other thing. Yeah, no. So it, it it they don't there, but it doesn't mean that they might not further down in some other issue. Yeah, it's an, I have to go back through it, but. All right, so we'll move on from that. We'll assume, <laughs> we'll assume there's a chance I'm wrong on that one. It happens quite often. No, but clearly it was on Stan's mind in creating this character to bring Namor in so quickly. Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, that was, if Timely Comics was known for anything, it was that first in-between, I think that was one of the first in-between two comics superhero fights yeah. back in the Golden Age. And then it was a really big deal. So, yeah, clearly he had it on his mind. Why the hell not? Yeah. <laughs> Particularly if Marvel was in a case of, if you believe Jack's version, shit, they're moving the furniture out. Oh, God, what am I going to do? First thing you do is say, well, you know what worked 15 years ago? Let's try that again and see if that doesn't work out. Right. So, yeah, why the fuck not? This time he'll be a real boy, not an android. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Johnny Storm is the least realistic teenager I've ever read anywhere. It's true. He makes the teenagers and the outsiders look like. But he loves cars. Doesn't that make him real to you? Yeah, it's the 21st century. <laughs> we we did computers when Wants I was in high school. to drive fast. Yeah, okay. That's what all teenagers <laughs> want. Other elements that were sort of showing what Marvel was going to become. Uh, the, I mean, the tenuous relationship between civilians and military, I think, um, just in terms of, you know, is it... <clears throat> You've got yourself allying yourself with the military, but really you're not in the military. So if they tell you to do a thing you don't want to do, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, I think that very much was a product of its time. Yeah. Because this would have been, like I said, space race, but pre-Watergate. Right. I mean, the very concept that somebody could steal a rocket and go into space come back with powers and the expectation is not only not i will not be impressed into government service as some form of super soldier or thrown in a hole yeah but the expectation is no i can take my powers and my money and my free enterprise and create an extremely dangerous laboratory <laughs> in the heart of manhattan a laboratory that includes a portal to the negative zone and a rocket launch pad. Well, it makes me wonder, like, what kind of shenanigans did Richards pull before the rocket theft, where everybody just brushed it off as, oh, Reed's being Reed? It's, if you read, oh, <laughs> it's, I'm willing to accept a certain amount of that, because if only, 
if you watch the right stuff, Chuck Yeager, if, <laughs> if you believe what was told to Tom Wolf, Chuck Yeager would occasionally just say, oh, yeah, I'm up on this plane. And he'd take it and try to break the sound barrier and occasionally faceplant the thing. <laughs> but as long as he got a record, they still slapped him on the back and bought him a beer. Okay. All right. So it, it, I'm willing to accept a certain amount of that, if not being the attitude of the time, at least sort of the reputation of test pilotry looking back on the past. Reed took a rocket into space, got himself blasted by cosmic rays, and then crash landed into Earth. Must be Tuesday. Well, also, if you think about the space race, when this would have happened, not only would this have been the first uh, multi-person mission into space, mm. Sue Storm would have been the first woman into space. Yes. It would have been the furthest ranged mission into space because the Van Allen belt, which is, I think, what Stan and Jack were trying to get at with the idea of cosmic rays and needing shielding. Yeah. That's about 600 miles up. Okay. And low Earth orbit is like, I forget exactly. I'm, well, well, in the first issue, they're just trying to, yeah, get to that belt. And then by the second issue, they've already retconned it to, we were trying to get to Mars. Oh, yeah. And then eventually it was trying to get to the moon. And if you go long enough, it's, oh, no, we had a star drive. We were trying to, we were trying to get to the edge of the solar system. Yeah. And, uh, that's why, and, and I'll get more into this later, Fantastic Four as a product of its time and how well it works not in that time <laughs> is a very important question. Yeah. Cuz cuz yeah, they the sliding time scale they had to do of oh, what do we what do we have to be doing for it to be state of the art right. really changes. It does. It does. Particularly once you move to Ultimate Fantastic 4 and then <laughs> the movie which is nobody's ultimate. No. Unless by ultimate <laughs> you mean last. And yeah, I'm just looking at my notes here. By the fifth issue, when we're talking about harbingers of the greater Marvel universe for the next 50 years, we've got references to other comic characters because there's a reference to Hulk in that issue. Yep. We got Doctor Doom right out of the gate. Doc, not only Doctor Doom, Doombots, his time portal, the the, the, well, very, the very limited idea of Doom as a man of honor who will <laughs> keep his word. Even as Reed Richards plays word games and makes semantic arguments, and you know, he's basically a rules lawyer to try to follow the little letter of Doom's intentions, but and, not the spirit. Yeah, not the spirit. <laughs> of it. Well, what I noticed was right out of the gate, like by issue two with the scrolls. Yeah, uh, Stan is already making references to. Which one is it? Tales, to tale, tales of Astonishment. Strange Tales and Tales to Astonish. No, and Journey Journey into Mystery. Oh, Journey into Mystery. Okay. Um, as if to say, you could be reading these other things that we've been writing. <laughs> this oh, is yeah. where we have these giant ant stories <laughs> and the, these other fantastic monsters. As, as a hype man, Stan Lee should be wearing a clock around his neck and a grill. <laughs> He's always been good at that. <laughs> Stan Lee! <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it's... <laughs> It, it doesn't worry. I can't do Flava Flav. I just I can't. Right. I can't do a Boston accent, and I can't do Flava Flav. Don't, don't do Flava Flav. They'll hunt us down to the, the ends of the earth if we, <laughs> if we start getting weird with with appropriation or shit like that. So the hell with it. The one thing that struck me with it, well, then getting back for a second to the idea of Doom as a man of honor, that didn't really last very fucking long. You know, picture that guy. You know, the guy will always keep his word compared to the one we see in Secret Wars. Who let the fucking world end so he could bang Sue? 
<laughs> Again, Sue is the Helen of Troy yeah. of, of this universe. Like, Jesus, compare this Doctor Doom to the one who hired Luke Cage and then skipped off back to fucking Latveria with Luke's <laughs> 500 bucks. So this version of Doctor Doom did not last very long. No. But, but well, Doctor- you know, actually, if I had to live in a world with Reed Richards, I would start figuring out a different moral compass, too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Wait, he rules lawyered me. Ah. That son of a bitch. Oh, I don't like you. <laughs> you're, you're not to be trusted. Guess I'm going to have to become even more morally ambiguous. <laughs> but the one thing that actually caught me with that issue, and it reminded me of Marvel 1602, and just wondering why they didn't do that. According to this issue, we're supposed to believe that Ben Grimm is the historical black <laughs> Which, I, okay, fine. It, yeah, it's a Silver Age story. That kind of shit happened all over the place. But, I mean, if that's the case, why in 1602 was he not a pirate? I mean, he was the captain of the you know, the four of the Fantastic ship. But some, that's, somebody was asleep at the switch. I guess. But, yeah, that just would have been, yeah, it happened to go straight from that to piracy and, like, the spinoff book that Peter David did. I'm sure there'll be some other 1602 book at some point. Oh, Christ, I hope not. Even I like in all the that much. <laughs> all new, all different Marvel universe, they will, uh, somebody could be listening to us right now. <laughs> no, nobody listens to the show. <laughs> yeah, it's all those, uh, <laughs> It's all those editors and producers that we yeah. told Nick oh, and yeah. Daniel last week that we know. <laughs> yeah, we're primarily the high end of the industry podcast. We don't know anybody. That's right. <laughs> we're not just cock jokes, baby. We people who I don't know anybody. Sometimes I barely know myself. I know. I know. <laughs> Look in the mirror. Who am I? How did I get here? <laughs> Where are my pants? <laughs> You're not wearing pants? Uh, that show, everybody. I- <laughs> You're my Sue Rich, Sue Storm, baby. Aw, thanks. No, no problem. Oh, and this is my impression of what you're thinking right now. You're an imbecile. <laughs> as long as you're thinking, as long as you're thinking that and not this. Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> now, mostly I'm thinking, wow, if somebody wants to end the universe, they can bang me, then I don't have to figure out a show next week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who might do that? Will be Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> now nah, I feel dirty again. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my gifts. <laughs> At what point did we lose control of this show? I think when we started it. Yeah, pretty much. All right. <laughs> so, all right. I don't know when you were going to seg into other things, but um, in terms of... <laughs> Neither was I. <laughs> in terms of having read these initial issues and then... Having been subjected to the deep thrombo- deep vein thrombosis of horror that was um, Fantastic Four, the movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of get what Josh Trank was trying to do. But he also would need to understand that as a relatively untried director, be- you know, he had Chronicle that hit really well, but that was his first thing. Yes. Nobody was going to let him make a full-scale, flat-out, full-on body horror movie and call it the Fantastic Four. No. And it shows because there's a point where the suits step in and then everything goes to shit, even beyond what Trank was already doing with the movie, because then it becomes fucking incomprehensible. It it does. <laughs> the The movie's a mess. And I do want to get to the, the movie <laughs> the movie very shortly. I, I don't want to get to the movie. I didn't want to I didn't want to rent the movie. <laughs> And my Blu-ray player now knows it was in there. There's nothing you can do to... That's never coming out. 
You to... you went on a, a full binge of Fallout 4 for like eight hours yesterday to avoid coming downstairs to watch that movie. I really didn't want to watch it. It was finally movie. like nine o'clock and I'm like, all right, so what are we going to do? And you're like, yeah. oh yeah, we got to watch this. Yeah. It's, if we could have done the show without watching it, 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 it was, oh, so bad. I, Must warn others. We ended up having, you know, because this is the kind of classy people we are, um, wine, cheese, and crackers with it. Okay, you had beer. I had... I had a runny, stinky Brie-like item on the table that that emitted a stench that was more sweet than that movie. And I apologized <laughs> for that. Movie's the, so bad. The, the movie was bad. Let's get to that in a minute. I, I do want to impress how important these first couple of years of... <laughs> Stan and Jack's Fantastic Four were. Okay. Even as time has gone on and it's maybe, oh, what's the big deal about Fantastic Four? I, this first volume I have is uh, Fantastic Four 1 through 20. I've not read them all yet. It also includes the first annual. But I went through on Google to see everything that just shows up in these issues. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the Marvel Universe, you've got the Hulk, the first Hulk thing battle. Molecule Man, Scrolls, the fucking Super Scroll shows up in these first 20 issues. Okay. Ant-Man shows up. The Mad Thinker, The Watcher. Okay. Uh, the Impossible Man and Kurgo from Planet X. Wow, okay. Because clearly they're not all going to be Picasso's. <laughs> not everything fucking works. For Christ's sake, they had to get a book out every couple of months. But fucking Spider-Man yeah. is in this first couple of years. And they're all occupying the same universe. They're living parts of the same massive story. Now that's in two years, and I go I randomly Googled Superman some month like 1963. Okay. So at the same time this is going on, and I found Superman 159 in February 1963. It's Lois Lane Supermaid from Earth, in which Earth explodes and sends Lois Lane to Krypton. <laughs> This is DC's flagship title. It's an imaginary story. It meets no continuity whatsoever. That was going on at DC at the time that the beginnings of a 50-year story. A 50-year story with with interwoven storylines, a, a complex cast of characters, and an interwoven series of, of plots and subplots that span across a variety of books. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all the groundwork is laid in this you know, mostly in this one title. At the very least, this is where everything absolutely started. And Hickman blew it up in Secret Wars. <laughs> yeah, and look, it's not all genius. You know, the, the thing turns human an awful lot in these first few issues. But I think it's also supposed to, that particular part of it, it's ham-handed, but it's supposed to give Ben hope while he grapples with what it would mean to be the thing for the rest of his life. Yeah, it's and and I get that, but it's it would it would feel more organic if it didn't always happen like just before he was about to fucking knock the Hulk out or some shit. Well, absolutely, but I think also Lee runs with that when he eventually gets into the Hulk and and follows similar similar storylines with the Hulk. Yeah, and I agree. I would agree with you, except for the fact that the same thing happens to the Human Torch all the time. Yeah, well, I, and the Human Torch is even more inconsistent because he'll either get doused with a chemical or or somebody will throw water on him, but then later on he'll be like, I'm going to create this steam by flying as close to the water as humanly possible, but oh, it's not yeah. going to put me out. <laughs> uh, yeah, his, his power set was all over the fucking place. For something as simple as, I'm on fire! 
<laughs> it could be a hard thing to fuck up. But that would be puberty. Like sometimes, I, you know, when you when you're going through puberty, you think you have all of your shit together, right up until the point you don't. <laughs> no, right up until the point they said, "Can you illustrate this math problem at the chalkboard?" And then no, <laughs> no, I could not control my fucking powers at that point. <laughs> and I wanted somebody to throw water on me. Do Do you have a story you want to tell the audience? Yes, yeah, so the story about I told a hack going to the fucking chalkboard <laughs> joke, but it worked when I told it. I'm not going to stand by it. But I'll apologize for it. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, and like I said, the the Sue is a hostage moment. To be fair, they were still working on her pro- her powers. Like I said, I'm yeah. up to issue uh, 13. Uh, I've not gotten all the way through 13, I don't think. But she still doesn't have force fields. So she's still just invisible. There's just a certain amount that you can do with that. Right. And what they did with it was uh, go invisible and follow this person. Yeah. You know, hence the, dear Fantastic Four, why <laughs> Sue doesn't do nothing. But she's the inside woman. Yeah. <laughs> Here was an interesting thing that I found in this. There was a conceit that the fan, I was telling you about this because I don't think you've gotten this far in it. There's a conceit that these stories come from the actual Fantastic Four, <laughs> you know, like the real life ones. Yeah. Um, telling their stories to Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, who are just transcribing them for the history books or something. Oh, that's it. Stan and Kirby did a bunch of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd do all the drugs. It was the 60s. You work in comic books. What the hell? Hey, man. I totally saw Reed Richards. He was here in the office. <laughs> but, but no, the, the thing that got me was, okay, if Marvel comics come from the stories that the Fantastic Four are telling Stan and Jack, if you kind of go with the Tommy Westfall universe theory, mm-hmm. you know, the whole... St. Elsewhere was in the mind of an autistic child, so it, it means that huge numbers of old TV shows and how they tie into St. Elsewhere means that they're all imaginary just in the mind of this autistic kid. Um, what does that mean about – I didn't even want to get into the – the because the, uh, it, it's a mindfuck of a concept. Of, mm. Okay, if the Fantastic Four is telling stories about Marvel Comics heroes to Stan and Jack, that means – Peter Parker is just an arbitrary name. The thing is maybe making up stories about Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know Spider-Man. He's a good guy. Peter Parker, he's uh, kind of a loser, actually. He's not nearly <laughs> as cool as I am. Uh, <laughs> well, if you were the thing, wouldn't you want to make yourself out to be cooler than everybody else, too? Uh, yeah, I absolutely would. <laughs> but and not even go with that. I was just thinking the characters in these books would be like, oh, it's, oh my, old, my old college buddy? You mean uh, Victor, who's almost as brilliant as I am? Uh, you almost skanked almost skank my girl out from under me, that Victor? Yeah, oh, yeah, he was a weird pervert. He had a ruined face. Uh, he never would have accomplished anything <laughs> if it weren't for dark magic. He's a witch. Print it. He's a witch. Print it. Prince Namor, who, who, who also almost fucking stole my girl out from under me? Yeah, real, real arrogant prick. It's a hell of an attitude to take for a guy who spent 15 years as a drunken skid row fucking bum in the Bowery. <laughs> Yeah, if it weren't for us, he'd still be there, drinking in the Bowery. Blackout drunk, no idea who he is. Write it down, Stan. <laughs> I, just, I, I would love... like to see. I, I would like to see this as a live action thing. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish they'd kept that conceit because they could do that with almost any book. <laughs> Robot chicken, run with it. You can thank us later. <laughs> yeah. No, fuck you. You can pay us later. <laughs> Pay me, bitch. No. Yeah, for this obscure thing from like 1962. Oh, come on, it's issues. awesome. <laughs> it's glorious. It's glorious. 
<laughs> Maybe I'll do another whole show with that. But it also, again, it illustrates why at the time, I think Reed worked as a product of his time and place. But if you look back on him now, okay, yeah, I get where people call him a dick. Okay, I get yeah. it. I get well, it. It's, <laughs> this book is absolutely a product of his time because number one, it has heroes who are, heroes who are actual adults. Yeah. Ben and Reed fought in World War II. I mean, if they were 18 years old and only fought in August 1945, they'd be 36 years old right. in Fantastic Four number. Let's face it. With Reed's gray hair, they're, they're 40 at least. At least. You know, Sue's maybe in her early 30s. You know, Johnny's a kid, but yeah, it's a comic book. It means the Storms like may as well have just produced two only children. <laughs> just about, yeah. Yeah. Uh, some Something broke. <laughs> uh, somebody got the date on the calendar wrong. In the Storm household, they had sex once every eight to ten years, whether anybody <laughs> wanted it or not, just to make sure the plumbing was still working. <laughs> exactly. Apparently it was. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks for everything. Considering they're adults, it's the time and the circumstances. That's the, that's the only way it's obvious why these characters would be together. You know, Reed and Ben... And I'm sure there's more backstory that goes on in later issues, but Reed and Ben would have fought together in the war. Yes. Uh, and since it's a space race book, it makes sense for a legitimate rocket scientist mm-hmm. to be working directly with a test pilot, pilot so yeah. that the white collar, blue collar difference doesn't make a difference. Right. They'd be working together. They might, would probably be friends. They're working on the same projects. Yeah. You know, Sue and Johnny being there on the rocket makes less sense. I'm willing to accept that Reed. Probably knew Ben well enough to know he didn't want to get, again, on an untested rocket <laughs> to fly through a radiation belt unless Sue could castrate him into flying by calling him a pussy. But then Reed would know that Sue knew and what the fuck? Okay, Sue won't put out unless her, you know, I let her brother talk, tag along. So, fine, okay. I'll, I'll buy a certain amount of that written by the emotionally stunted. So you're saying that Reed is doing this all for the pussy? Uh <laughs> Uh, no, he's doing it because he's a fucking <laughs> egomaniac. Because, uh, look, the other reason I think he, uh, sure, uh, bring your kid brother who's in high school. He thought the rocket was safe. Yeah. He calls himself, he calls himself fucking Mr. Fantastic, for God's sake. That's true. There's no way he thought he fucked up his design. And I didn't queue up Mr. Fantastic just before that. Son that, of a that's, bitch. It's okay. It's okay. But, uh, so, <laughs> so I'm willing to say, okay, f- fine, Sue, bring, bring your child. Bring your child brother onto this rocket into space. I'm... Will be Mr. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and again, with the whole right stuff thing, uh, I'm willing to... If you can even believe that remotely, I'm willing to believe that the government would turn a blind eye if there was success. So he got the thing into deep space comparatively to hit the Van Allen belt, so... But yeah, none of that, you know, none of that translates outside the 60s. Yeah, again, right. the, and the whole idea you could steal it and get away with it and have superpowers and not be thrown into a pit or, <laughs> or into Afghanistan or something. That only works in this time with these kind of circumstances and the things that happened around it. And I think that finally gets us to the movie. God help us, because what a sack of fucking shit <laughs> this fucking thing was. Yes, there there are problems. And, and I... Again, I think I kind of get where Trank was trying to go with it. I would be really interested in reading the original script before supposedly the suits got their fingers and notes on it as he was attempting to direct it. But there are problems with it. There are are massive, giant problems with it that can't be explained away by, oh, um, Fox interfered with my creative um, 
vision. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not sure what creative vision there was in that movie. It was all over the map. Yeah. Um, I get the body horror piece because that makes sense and is not like a lot of, well, actually, no, I was about to say it's not like a lot of what we've seen, but even if you go into, um, Wolverine when when he gets into some of the the Weapon X stuff and even in the 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 Wolverine Origins movie and that wasn't a great thing either as he's getting used to having his powers and after he's um, imbued with with the adamantium there's a certain amount of body horror there and they don't linger on it they move away from it but it's there (laughs) yeah I mean weirdly the the most effective body horror in Fantastic Four was around Mr. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, where he was... By the way, we're going to spoil this terrible movie you're never going to see. <laughs> Sorry. But where he's, yeah, pinned to the table, and clearly they picked him up and he was still all stretched out, so he's pinned down with his arms and legs extended six feet apiece. That was a genuinely disturbing image. Yeah. You know, even compared to The Thing, which, you know, the body horror there was, how come The Thing ain't wearing pants? Well, funny story. <laughs> You don't have to cover what apparently dropped off. Yeah. That's about as male body horror as you can get. But still, it's you know, it's the thing. Yeah. It's the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. I've seen a rock guy before. I've been... <laughs> so, yeah, there's a certain amount of body horror there. The problem is he... God, he so clearly wanted to be David Cronenberg. Yeah. You know, there, there's an entire Scanners rip. Yep. You know, Dr. Doom's... <laughs> If you can call him Doctor. But Do- Doom's powers are basically part of him as scanners. Yeah, pretty the much. The problem is, Josh, dude, buddy, you're not David Cronenberg. No. There's only one of those. And yeah. this is a superhero comic. It's a comic. And and there's stuff that they just, you know, clobbering time came from when Ben used to get abused by his older brother. and <laughs> Yeah, well, I think the part of the basic problem, and it's a problem that the comics now would face that I think ultimate fantastic four faced, even though I did not reread that going into this show. Cause it was not one of my favorite yeah. set of comics. It was okay. I think you liked it better than I did, but yeah, this team's origin does not translate into the 21st century. I mean, first of all, in modern comics and movies, you can't have a hero that's in his forties. No, Tony Stark, notwithstanding, but he, even he doesn't act like an adult. He, he acts like he's about 22. Right. With money. Um, so if, if you're not going to have an older hero, means everybody got to be a millennial. Everybody's always got to be in their early 20s. So, okay, fine. We've got a boy genius, but also now with time being what it is and events being what it is, now you need to explain why everybody knows each other. You don't have the war as an excuse. Um, you don't have, oh, Reed was a millionaire and so were Sood's parents. And so they got to know each other because they literally lived next door to each other, which I think is how they knew each other in the comic. They they went to the the same society parties. Right. (laughs) So in order to explain how all these disparate people know each other, you got to get a ton of expositional backstory, which is what this movie gave us. It was 45 minutes before the fucking ship went and anybody even remotely could get any powers. The pacing on this this movie was dreadful. It was snail pace, uh, molasses in January kind of... Pacing. <laughs> oh God, yeah. It made Superman the movie, you know, look like it was cut by Michael Bay. Because, because <laughs> you had to explain everything. You had a ton of shorthand in the the comic book in 1961. Oh, they knew each other in the war. You're done. 
Right. You know, here it's, oh, Reed and Ben are best friends in high school because Ben helped Reed with his science projects and Reed would help Ben with his homework. And then, you know, the Reed got into the Baxter Foundation, but you can't let Ben in because he's not number smart. one. He's not smart, <laughs> but he also he's too young to be a pilot. So now he's just there. So now you have to explain why he's even there for the big experiment or the flight or whatever. So why would Reed call his blue collar kind of dumb, but Reed shit faced. He shit faced when he flies on the mission. He shit faced after three swallows of somebody's whiskey. Exactly. <laughs> they had a half pint of whiskey between the three of them. And I get their, you know, millennials and you know, skinny jeans and shit. Jesus Christ. I don't remember when I could get drunk off a half pint of whiskey. Right, maybe it was a flask of like Bacardi 151 or something, but <laughs> just. Uh, Even still. I'd like to believe Victor Von Doom has slightly better taste than yeah. Bacardi 151. But, oh, God. And, yeah, it's a, since nobody can come from a stable home, Reed, okay. Yeah, they're all broken, damaged people in some fashion. Right. So, yeah, Reed's got a stepfather, and Ben's got a stepfather, his brother's raising her or some shit. So, and Johnny's adopted. So No, jo Johnny's not adopted. Um, Sue's adopted, Sue's sorry. Adopted. Sue's adopted. So, yeah, from Russia. She's from Kosovo. Right. So you've got to have all this exposition on how these people know each other and how they get together and why Sue doesn't look like Johnny or like Franklin Storm. So by the time you're done explaining all of it, you're bored fucking shitless. Yeah. And the other problem is you can't shoot them into space. There's no fucking manned space program anymore. Yeah. So now they're going into what we would call the negative zone, but they call it planet zero and it's some other dimension. Right. Because it sounds equally stupid, but I don't know if... <laughs> Well, no, Fox has X-Men, so I don't know if Marvel holds the negative zone rights or whatever. I don't know. But, yeah. <laughs> and Oh, God. And you can't just leave the characters alone. Because it's the 21st century, It's if Reed is going to be a genius, it's not enough that Sue is just smart and clever and strong. No, she's got to be a genius, too. Because if she's not equal, that means she's lesser. So... Now we have to make Sue a genius, and how do they do that? The same way we've been making people geniuses ever since fucking Rain Man. She's half a goddamn autistic in this movie. Yeah, they they go out of their way to give her spectrumy kinds of characteristics. She doesn't. She's not great with making eye contact or or using any sort of facial expression. She's got a flat affect for the majority of the movie. Um, she. She's into pattern recognition as her thing, and that's the only reason she likes music, because she doesn't really appreciate it as an artistic form. She appreciates it more in terms of a series of patterns, which is what gives us the showcase for how her powers work so that later on she can track down our, our powers. Her, her native abilities before she becomes Invisible Woman work so she can track down Reed later in the movie when he fucks off, realizing that everything has gone to shit. Yeah, even then, Reed, being a genius who somehow manages to hide himself for the government, uses as an online handle the name that he's been telling people. Oh, Captain Nemo. I'd love me some 20,000 leagues under the sea. What a yeah. dope. <laughs> now, I'll give Trank credit on this. Uh, Trank and, and the it's the actors who played him. And of course, I don't know who played Ben Grimm. I forget the actor's name. Jamie Bell. Okay. Ben's characterization is really pretty close to how he is in the first few issues of the Fantastic Four comic yeah. book. You know, he's much angrier and, and more bad-tempered and bitter than the ever-loving blue-eyed thing that most of us grew up with in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Right. But he did a solid job both in the writing on and directing on Trank's end and on... Uh, what's his name again? Bell? Jamie Bell. Bell's acting to, to bring that across. Same thing with... Uh, 
Michael B. Jordan as Johnny. Johnny is a hot rodder with no particular brilliance beyond I like to take stuff apart and put it back together. Yeah. Very close to the original characterization. I thought he was absolutely solid yeah, as that kind of teenage thrill-seeking side of the character. Yeah, I th- I I didn't really have a lot of problems with with Bell or Jordan. I, I they worked with what they had in the script. Unfortunately, there wasn't a hell of a lot in the script for yeah, them. But they got better shrift than, <laughs> than Reed Sue and Doom did for yeah. God's sake. But I mean even there with Johnny being 2015, you know, it's it's not enough that he's just a a teenager and you know, he's got to have a big hefty dose of daddy issues thrown in to motivate him and but at least those two characters I'm like these are not terrible. See, that's so funny. Like, everybody has to have daddy issues in this movie. (laughs) You go back to these original Fantastic Four issues, Reed is the daddy issue. (laughs) Oh, exactly. He's daddy and the issue. He's he's, he's the person with whom others will have daddy issues down the line. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Long term. (laughs) But... When Valeria decides to fuck off and live with Dr. Doom, you know you may have fucked up as a father. You may have made some mistakes. (laughs) When the ultimate version of you is an evil prick... (laughs) You might. You it goes might, by the maker. Yeah, you might be building on sand when it comes to your personality. Yeah. <laughs> but and yeah, pl- so even beyond character-wise, we had to have all this exposition to explain why they're even in the same room. Plot-wise, it doesn't make any sense because yeah, there's no space program, and even what they've got, we're supposed to ex- believe the government's willing to spend millions of dollars to find a way into the negative zone. And yeah, they called it Planet Zero. It's the fucking negative zone. It is. Why would they do that? We we live in a world where the government won't spend money to send people into space, and you can chuck bombs at Muslims from space. You'd think if the government was going to spend money on something, given what the priorities they seem to show, they would have a space program. What the fuck are they going to do in the negative zone? They're not funding that hunt. I, I, I <laughs> don't know. <laughs> you know, and for this origin, at least in the original origin story, all they had to do was get in the ship and be like, oh shit, cosmic rays, fuck. With this one, but they could have done that. They could have done that in this story if they had been willing to go with, and they didn't want to because you know precious fucking demographics. All you have to do is look to Richard Branson, who's creating or trying to create like a civilian rocket to go into outer space, or look at like SpaceX. (laughs) Yeah, do something with that. Yeah, yeah, just uh, Jesus, civilian space flight. There is a market for asteroid mining which means we need a long-range manned spacecraft, which will have to go through the Van Allen belt. Yeah. You're done. Done. <laughs> Instead here, it's, we got to go to the negative zone, but we want to try to make it realistic, so we're going to shoot monkeys into the negative zone. Well, then shit, it can't just be as simple as whatever goes into the negative zone comes back with powers, because then the monkeys would come back with powers, which would be fucking glorious, <laughs> but this is not that kind of movie I where there's any glory to be had. I would watch that movie. I would watch the I hell was, out of that movie. As I was watching the shittiest of, of CGI-generated uh, monkeys on the screen, <laughs> I, I I was praying that it was going to come back with some sort of powers and, and rip somebody's face off. That's They couldn't even get a real monkey. It was a CGI monkey. <laughs> What the, a monkey's going to cost $80. We have a computer. Ape the monkey. Ironically, <laughs> ape the monkey in the computer. <laughs> yeah, because we do that, then we can't just have the ship go out. So we need to, to have them get out of the ship. And not just get out of the ship. Let's have them climb down a cliff and then crawl back up the cliff. Oh, so again, Trank trying to get into these horror story rules. He wanted to tell a horror story and he wasn't doing it very well. They get drunk and... 
according to horror story rules, if you do something that is a taboo activity, like drinking underage, something bad will happen to you. So there's that. And then they, they get into the, the ship to go to planet zero, uh, when they're not supposed to. So they're breaking more rules. They, every single turn, it was like, no, don't do that. Oh, they did it anyway. They get onto the surface of the planet and they, they decide they're going to hoist their flag, which immediately, you know, causes the, the the land to to erupt and to spew green shit. Most people would see that and say, "Huh, I want to give back inside my <laughs> ship." Nope, not these guys. Particularly Doom, who's like, "I'm going to stick my hand in it." <laughs> <laughs> At least it was his hand. Yeah, because <laughs> most guys, when they say, "I'm going to stick my into it," hand it's, is not the it's first thing be they warm, think. Warm like apple pie. <laughs> <laughs> the planet zero. <laughs> Planet, oh. <laughs> Fucking Von Doom should have been played by Jason Biggs. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So, like, at every single turn, you know, and, and, and then that culminates in, yeah, they try to get back to their ship, but not in time, and they've, they've messed with that, which they did not understand, and now here are the consequences. Yeah, there, there were definitely, he was trying to lay horror movie elements into it. Yeah. And, and I get that, and some of it worked. Far more of it didn't like i said the most effective horror movie thing for me was the the body horror image of oh jesus yeah reed's all stretched out and he can't control it yeah and they're drugging him and trying to figure out what's going on with it that that was legitimately disturbing it was yeah whereas you know poor ben screaming help me uh, all right i grew up with the comics i know he doesn't like being the thing <laughs> turning into a rock man yeah that would be kind of a bummer i wouldn't it, enjoy that yeah but Oh God! And yeah, speaking of poor fucking Ben Grimm, that was the tragedy of Ben Grimm in the comic is that, and I said a little before, he knows that rocket's not safe, right? He and it, but his tragic flaw is, ironically, Marty McFly's tragic flaw. <laughs> if you call him chicken, he's gonna do stupid shit. Yeah. So he gets into he's the only one on the rocket who knows we're probably fucked, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And the, the tragedy is, yep, it happened to him. In the movie. This poor son, he's at home. <laughs> he's minding his own fucking business. He was sleeping. <laughs> the phone rings. It's shit-faced buddy calls. And asks, yeah, hey, come on and take the flight. We're gonna... So he shows up in Manhattan at two in the morning. He doesn't know what the fuck he's in for. He's the only sober one on the fucking ship. <laughs> Conversely from the comic, he's the only one, if something goes wrong, he's got no idea what to do. He doesn't have a fucking clue. <laughs> No wonder he's pissed this happened to him. I, I would be pissed. I, I would be unhappy. I would. I mean, they show Reed and and Thing throw down almost immediately. I I think they went out of their way to give give that to Reed when really that should have been Thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like in in like most most normal sort of throwdowns, even with the plastic sort of rubbery stuff that Reed's got going on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the thing would have found the wherewithal to to stretch him like an old Flex Armstrong. Let's <laughs> see, I, would or stretch I, Armstrong because <laughs> didn't the thing headbutt him to knock it, knock him out to bring him in in the movie? Yeah, yeah, in the movie. See, I, what I would have liked in the movie was yeah, let's go straight uh, Hulk Buster and Hulk, where Reed's rubber head just bounces off him. He just keeps going, go to sleep, go to sleep, boing, 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 <laughs> boing. boing. Except Ben's pissed. He's like, "Fuck you and you and you and you." It's like the it's like the Human Torch physics. They're not consistent either with Reed in terms of how his powers work. Either he's malleable and bouncy, or he's not. No, all right. (laughs) 
I'm just I was trying to find a way to add some joy to this piece of oh, shit. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it would be great if there was an outtake, not that we will ever look at any of the yeah. bonus footage or deleted scenes. No, this goes back into the red box <laughs> under cover of fucking darkness. I'm not telling anybody I saw this fucking thing. Yeah. I should have fucking opened up an account with a gift card so my name <laughs> Can can't possibly to be attached to it. But, yeah. But uh and then yeah, with Sue, all right, we, for some reason we can't put Sue on the mission. Because we need somebody to to be able to bring there and do the emergency override to come back. And, and we can't imply that anybody else is smart enough to do that for plot reasons that come up later on. So we'll just have, if you're there when the ship comes back, you get superpowers. Even though the hangar was full of fucking people when they brought the monkeys back and nobody seemed right. to get any, any particular problems. So the, the giving of the powers was a mess. You know, and yeah, post-Watergate, like if it, since it's now, we have to deal with the fact that there's nobody in the world who would think the government would allow people with superpowers to, yeah, just buy a skyscraper downtown. No, you're going to be doing your time yeah. <laughs> working for the United States military, um, throwing rocks in orbit at Muslims or something. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, because of that, we need a gap in time where they're not the Fantastic Four, but after they get powers so that we can see the thing being set into war zones and Johnny being trained as a soldier. But we also need an excuse for that. We need an excuse for the fact that during this time gap, the government, rather than spending their their time training the team and lying to them that, oh, we're doing this to find a cure, but instead we're training you to be military, we need an excuse why they're doing that instead of just sending a shipload of already trained Navy SEALs every single day into the negative zone to get superpowers. Right. So what we need to believe in order for this to work is that nobody other than Reed can make this ship go. And... (laughs) So when he escapes, it's like, shit, we can't send anybody until we find him again. But the problem is, when they recapture him in the story, they say that the problem, the reason they couldn't get it to work, was in the software. Now, Reed would have written that original code. And I don't want to get inside baseball with programming. (laughs) Anybody who's written software for a living knows there's a thing called a source control system where when you write code, it gets checked into a central repository where it's safe, where it can't be accidentally deleted. I mean, the, the original shit Reed wrote is still around. Yeah. We just saw him escape, not do a massive fucking hacking operation. <laughs> Although we don't know. It, clearly, he's been monitoring what's been going on at, at the uh, facility for some time. He may have been in there messing with things on a hacker level for some time. And it wasn't until... Sue was specifically asked to go in and take a look that anybody realized that he'd had he'd left digital fingerprints behind. All right, so you think he was hacking from outside? Yes. Okay. All right, I'm willing to accept that. I'm willing to accept anything that'll make this movie make any more content. But honestly, <clears throat> honestly, even before and the thing that that made it push to shove was Franklin realizing that they were about to send his boy off to war. That's when he gets Sue involved and says go in and and find uh Reed. Sure. Even before that, if I'm Franklin, I would have been like, you get in there. (laughs) Yeah, but you know something? I'm willing to accept that. Blood is thicker than water. Yeah. I'm sure that Franklin was probably pleased that Reed got away from this situation that clearly got out of Franklin's control where Ben's being used as a military asset. Johnny's being trained. Maybe Franklin's trying to exert influence trying to maintain some control over the situation, trying to stop things before it gets to the point that Johnny is going to shoot fireballs at Baghdad or whatever. Yeah. But where the rubber hits the road, okay, they're sending him out. 
uh, better Reed comes in than my son gets Exocet missiles shot at him. Right. No, that makes sense. The sad thing is for this entire show, I'm probably going to get angry emails going, Exocet missiles are actually surface-to-ground missiles. I don't know. <laughs> Although, honestly, and I know you didn't want to get in, in, into like inside baseball with computer stuff, if I'm Reed and I've written all this source code that's supposed to be what launches this thing, how does he not have a dead man switch in there? Now, why would he think that he, that he would need it? He's been told all along, you're going to be the first crew going up. Well, even as even as he's being told, you know, you're going to be the first crew going up. Oh, no, wait, you're not. And then they said that they're going to get drunk and do it anyway. What's more likely? You get drunk and you decide to do it anyway, or you get drunk and you decide that you're going to put code in there that can sabotage it if you don't get to do what you want, if yeah. you read. Again, to, to get inside baseball, um, <laughs> at least in my experience, the idea of a dead man switch in code is if you are writing a production system for your job, uh, you can write a dead man switch in it that requires certain conditions, usually that credentials that belong to you are active, so okay. that if you are fired, <laughs> the system stops working in a way that you can plausibly deny. It is unethical and not a thing that I have ever done. Nor was I suggesting it. I was, <laughs> I was simply wondering why... Why someone like Reed and or Victor wouldn't have put something like that in the source code. Oh, I'm sorry. I I didn't know how this machine worked. <laughs> they, they might have. <laughs> they, they probably should have. Victor, if anybody, probably should have done it. Or or he would if he was a half-decent uh, doom. Yeah. And he was not. This doom sucked. <laughs> he really did. The first problem being he's just doom. He's not a doctor and alliteration fucking matters. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Thus speaks postgraduate student doom doesn't have the right <laughs> ring to it. It doesn't have any fucking ring to it. Thus speaks almost certificate of advanced graduate study doom. <laughs> Thus speaks GE doom. <laughs> <laughs> right, that down. Right, but, but it's also, he was written not as Dr. Doom in the comic, but like the, like a movie nuts idea of a bat. All his shit came from movies. I already it's talked true. about the scanners thing. And yet he's got these scanners that he can look at you and blow up your head. Literally blow up your head by looking at you. Yep. When he's faced by the Fantastic Four, clearly he forgets that he has this power. <laughs> <laughs> not even remotely used. Nobody even rubs their temple like they're thinking they might be coming Ow. down with a migraine. Are you trying to blow up my head? Yeah, Dude, it's, sick move. <laughs> just conveniently forgets he has this power where, yeah. when it gets to the climax. Um, his plan to just destroy the world. I'm going to destroy the world in favor of my new world <laughs> that has nobody on it. That's, that's a plan with no upside. The I'm going to destroy the world, it, it's like a villain from a shitty 50 sci-fi movie. Yeah. But it's, a, yeah, it's like a shitty movie villain. Ironically, <laughs> and he honestly, <laughs> you and I both laughed at it. There's a point where he says, there is no victor, only doom. That's right. <laughs> does, that make, does that make him the key master or the gatekeeper? Oh, both. He's fucking himself. Vic, how's Bill Murray in the sack? Did, <laughs> did you need 300 cc's of Thorazine? <laughs> oh, he's going to take a little nap now. <laughs> but, but yeah, doom sucks. None of the heroes are particularly heroic. You got Ben off for a year doing black ops missions, so you know he's <laughs> you know he's got blood under his rocky fingernails. Yep. 
Yeah, Johnny's training to do the same. Johnny's eager to fucking do it. He can't wait to go. I bet I can get it under five seconds. What? Oh, the simulation of killing a bunch of villagers. I could do that in under five seconds. You know, that their origin story includes leaving a member of the team to die in the fucking world. <laughs> Reed not only turns his best friend into a monster, he fucks off for a year. Yeah. And leave Ben to whatever fucking fate. You know, I thought about that before we started the show because I was going to bring that up. But I, I, he was, I got the impression he was trying to do it so that he could keep an eye on it from a way where, at the very least, he could quietly maybe maneuver things because he did recognize that it was his responsibility, but he wasn't going to go back in until he had a plan. That was that was what I took from it. No. Also, Reed. Mexico's cheap. <laughs> no, Reed Richards. That guy was a jackass. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, getting away from character and how things, all the shit they had to do to make this all make sense and away from World War II in the early 60s. From a pure spectacle standpoint, a final battle on a computer-generated fucking world where the only visible stakes are the fate of five people, it's not really that exciting. That's true. Yeah, I've got to believe the original plan was some kind of battle with legitimate visible stakes, you know. But it just it wasn't that exciting. And the the ugly truth is, again, I part of me is really, as I've been reading these books and thinking about it, I think the Fantastic Four only work as a product of that particular time and place. I I I disagree. I, again, I think that this movie could have been done in a way where you're dealing with a legitimate corporation, perhaps one, not that you want to ape what's going on with the Iron Man movies and Stark Industries, but one that might be a corporation with a business partnership in the military in some fashion that is working on civilian spaceflight. I I think that that is is legitimate. I, I think you're probably right. But I think they weren't willing to sacrifice the almighty 18 to whatever yeah, demographic. Again, you, you say it's legitimate and it's legitimate to make it space flight again. It's not legitimate to get the shorthand for why certain groups of people are working together. It does make it easier. No, not necessarily, because if you've got someone who's, you know, retired from being a military rocket scientist and is now doing this as um, a consultancy or has decided they're going to parlay their understanding of, of rocket science into, into a business to bring civilians into space. Cause admit it, who doesn't want to fucking go into space? <laughs> oh, I'd sign away the 401k tomorrow. If okay. I I could get a seat. Who probably still has contacts among pilots who are retiring and looking for other work to do. You you still can have that partnership there. You can still have that that relationship there. What would wind up happening, and I guarantee this, is that whatever older actor you got to play Reed Richards would, the minute he got his powers, would do what we saw Miles Teller, I think that's the actor, yes. as Reed Richards do when he was trying to hide in Mexico, is, oh, I'm going to make myself look 20 because I can to get a younger actor in there. It's possible. You could get away with not having to do that with a thing cuz the thing. <laughs> it's possible, but again, I I I think that they they were gambling too much on we have to find a way to make this appealing to millennials at the expense of telling a good story. The interesting thing is I think your earlier reference to Richard Branson yeah. honestly works better. You get an older Richard Branson type 
yeah, of course I'm going to bring my chippy girlfriend and fuck it. Yeah. All right. Bring your kid brother. It means I get my dick wet a little bit earlier. Fine. Everybody on the ship. We're going up. That makes more sense to, for why you get Sue and Johnny on the ship. Now I desperately want to see Richard Branson as, as Reed Richards. <laughs> like I, I, there's nothing more I want in the world. Somebody out there. Here's your reboot. That's right. Get this done. Fucking make this happen. <laughs> Do it now. <laughs> Quit smiling, you idiot. You're supposed to be a professional. Anyway. There, we just saved the fucking Fantastic Four. That's right. <laughs> There's potential there. It's a it's a hard dollar, but I, it, it could, it could be, be done, and it, and it could have been so much better. <laughs> yes, it could. Oh, anything could have been so much better, but there, there you don't have to go through 800 different hoops to get to what Lee and Kirby were doing in their initial issues. But even then, the one... The one tricky part about all of it, be it Richard Branson or, or however you get around the, the people of different- Elon Musk. The, the people of different- <laughs> Sure. Who is arguably more of a Reed Richards type. Uh, arguably. <laughs> yes. But, well, no. And that's the problem. Not really. <laughs> the To get a Reed Richards type, uh, you need unabashed, arrogant- white guy <laughs> you need a 1960s white guy you need you, Hugh Laurie's house you need <laughs> you need a man for whom white privilege means nothing because but of course <laughs> right okay so we need the most interesting man in the world <laughs> I don't always get superpowers but when I do <laughs> I am Mr. Fantastic <laughs> oh. Mr. Fantastic. Cute <laughs> it up right that time. There you go. It, it, it could be made to work. I'm, I'm beginning to agree with you, which actually gives me some hope, because I walked into this saying, you know, the Fantastic Four, uh, they're dead. Uh, you can't do anything with them. You can. You just have to be willing to allow yourself to embrace using older actors and tell the story the right way. <laughs> Not yeah. everything has to be, oh, we're going to... Do something where kids can feel like they have to be in in the shoes of the protagonists. When you and I were 11, 12, and Ghostbusters hit the screen, <laughs> mm-hmm. did it matter that they were obviously 20, 25 years older than we were? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> that obviously <laughs> mid-30s, softening, <laughs> chain-smoking. <laughs> It, it didn't matter. You still wanted that proton pack, and you wanted to go get yourself some ghosts. I still do. As a exactly. Of fact. So you tell the story right. You get a Richard Branson, and he's out there like, like pulling sweet tail and blasting into outer space and getting superpowers. Isn't it going to be a twelve-year-old in the world who's going to be like, "I want to be that guy"? Yeah. All right. It's <laughs> it's doable because I, I I honestly I walked into the show going it, it wouldn't work now. And the the proof in my head was Ultimate Fantastic Four, where they tried it. We're not going to have a spaceship. We're going to do this other thing. And yep, let's think about his powers more. And within five, six, seven years, it's, yeah, a guy like this would not be a fucking hero. Yeah. A- arrogant prick like this in the 21st century, he's not a hero. He's figuring out how to make shit for him. But you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> it. It could be done. I don't think they necessarily did it right with Ultimate Fantastic Four, because I think if there is a real seed to the Fantastic Four movie, it was Ultimate Fantastic Four. Probably. And again, I got a soft spot for the Fantastic Four. It was on my polls until the day it was canceled. Mm-hmm. It was not always my favorite book. It was not, frankly, ever my favorite book. It was always a good book. But, but keeping, but, but being able to keep it within the original conceit of the space race still works now because 
we've gotten so far away from doing anything that we used to do to try to get into space. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, at this point, it would be all brand new technology. Yeah. So if, <laughs> but it, but it's also to you'd have to convince somebody that somebody's willing to do. I get it would have to be private sector. It would have to be. Yeah, and this is supposed to be private sector. What they in in this book? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not really clear though, is it? Well, that's where they they don't. If it was really private sector, they wouldn't be sneaking it. He designed it. Yeah. He wouldn't be sneaking past the guards because okay. it, it it distinctly says before the guards can react. Because <laughs> before the guards could react with a salute and a thank you for the paycheck, Mister Richards. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Richards, you weren't supposed to be here tonight. I know, I know, Billy. Why don't you go on home early? The keys are on the pegboard, Mr. Richards. <laughs> thank you for that bonus. So, all right. But but now you could legitimately have a private sector situation that it would be reasonable for the military to get involved with after this happens. <laughs> Because that certainly plays into things going on in the world here where private sector is constantly worried about government surveillance. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Look, you're giving me hope because I walked into this thinking, uh, yeah, this comic book could not possibly exist and now it's over. Kevin Feige or Fox or whomever is going to do this next, pay me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hear Kevin Feige's fired the uh, Marvel creative team that always has sort of you know, the Joe Quesada. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I hear they're uh, no longer being consulted. Well. <laughs> Somehow I doubt they're going to call us. Well, they should, because I'm fucking brilliant. They should. <laughs> God damn it, you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> but no, it does give me hope for it, because, again, try to steer the show. Yeah. Uh, fan- Fantastic Four is over now. The Marvel Universe, as we've known it, is now officially over. That's right. Secret Wars 9 came out this week. The official end of the Marvel Universe as Stan and Jack originally produced it, although many would make the argument, no, it really ended a long time ago. This is just now a final nail in the coffin and saying we're not even going to pretend. While I have not generally enjoyed the journey, uh, Secret Wars was on our list uh, for worst event for both of us in our Crises Awards last year. Uh, I will give Jonathan Hickman some credit in this last issue. If you're going to end the Marvel Universe as created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, it kind of has to end with Reed Richards versus Dr. Doom. It does make a lot of sense now Now that we've sort of put it in perspective. Yes. And by the way, we're going to spoil the living shit out of this issue as we go along. <laughs> this issue that dropped late. <laughs> yes. But it did drop this week. So if you've not picked it up yet, uh, you may want to... Uh, no, don't even bother skipping ahead. Just <laughs> mark down the time and come back after you read it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, this comes down down to Reed and Doom and a good old-fashioned comics fist fight and simultaneous moral arguments. <laughs> you know, like you got back in the 70s and the 80s. Exactly. Oh, the good shit. In the meantime, Molecule Man's making sure that everyone's even. So Molecule nice... Man, who showed up at some point. I, I, I thought I read all of these. Where, where did, how did I miss him? <laughs> yeah, a couple issues ago, it uh, was revealed that he was sort of the... Battery. Yeah, the, the power source yeah. for battle, battle World and for Doom's omnipotence. Mm. But... uh so yeah, Molecule Man, he's making sure that the fight's even. Everybody's just going in there with whatever powers they showed up with. <laughs> uh, so he takes away Doom's omnipotence, saves Reed from Ultimate Reed the Maker. Yep. So that Reed and Doom could just beat each other down. May the best man walk away. <laughs> yeah, and it, it comes down to Reed argues that all Doom did was steal Reed's family and set up the world so he could never lose him. 
Uh, Doom argues that Reed was such an ineffectual pussy he couldn't even save his family from the, the final convergence of worlds, let alone save the world. And yeah, ultimately it comes down to Doom thinks Reed thinks that he's better than Doom. Yes. And Reed thinks that Doom can be better than he is. What the story finally hinges on, and in my opinion, is its biggest weakness. Doom asks Reed if he thinks Reed could have done better saving the universe than Doom did. Reed says, yeah, and you (laughs) and I both know it, Victor. And Doom agrees. And that leads to Molecule Man saying, okay, if you both agree. And then he gives omnipotence to Reed to save the Marvel Universe. That part sucked. <laughs> yeah, that was that was like, I'm not sure how I'm going to end this. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's something that I'm sure looks good on paper. Yeah. As a final argument between the two of them as to you think you're better than me and getting one to tacitly admit, yes, I think you're better than I am, but Dr. Doom would never. Dr. Doom would never. He would never admit that Reed would be better at him than anything, and particularly not in this case. Right. Where it was Reed and the survivors who started undermining Battleworld to start with. Reed got T'Challa and Namor to distract Doom so that Reed could approach the Molecule Man. Doom would see it as, no, you've cheated. You've always cheated me. You've always been underhanded with your dealings with me back to here's Blackbeard's right. chest <laughs> with nothing in it. Yeah. Because you said bring the chest, motherfucker. But not the treasure. Ha ha. Doom would say you have always been dishonorable in dealing with me. There is no way that you are better than Doom. Well, the machinations crap that that they allude to. Oh, this is all about distractions and machinations. The, the very first issue of Fantastic Four... Ben wouldn't have gotten on that ship and piloted it if Reed hadn't brought Sue, who made him feel, and flat out called him a coward because it was a calculated move on Reed's part. Oh, yeah. Reed Reed gets Sue to call Ben a coward. Reed lies to Dr. Doom. Reed's a stand-up guy. Yeah. Mr. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Doom would always maintain that Richard cheated him. He always cheats him in an affair world. Doom's always better. He would always, he would never say, yes, yeah. you would do it better. Yeah. Which means this story hinges on a mo- hinges on a moment that rang utterly false to me. Well, it, it's like anything else. All of these heroes leading up to this, not acting like heroes. If somebody has to fundamentally change the core of who the character is in order for the story to proceed, it is a flawed story. Yes. Now, <laughs> Before we bury Hickman on this, like I said, I want to give him a certain amount of credit. Yes. There have been rumors going around for probably over a year that high in the organization at Marvel Comics, people have been screaming because of Fox and because of the terrible deal for the Fantastic Four movie rights, uh, I want the Fantastic Four absolutely written out of Marvel Comics, cancel the book. Take them out of promotional material, and once the Marvel Universe is rebooted, there won't be another Fantastic Four for right now. That's the rumor. That was the rumor. Whether it's true or not, who the hell really knows? Yeah. Hickman, while it hinges on a... Well, the ending, the whole thing hinges on a lot of weird shit, but... Yeah. While the ending hinges on a moment that feels false, at least he, despite those orders made the end of Stan and Jack's Marvel Universe about those two main characters. 
And as soon as the thing flips over to, okay, we're back to Prime Earth, whatever yep. they're calling it now, it'll be the 616 in another year. Oh, I'm sure. Now it's Prime Earth. I kind of like what he did with the, okay, if this is the way the world is and the Fantastic Four is not around, if there must be a new Marvel Universe, it's only right that Reed Richards be the character at the base of it all. Basically, all new acts of creation based on how this is created, the theory is, go through Reed Richards. Because he was there first. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Um, And the the first thing that we see after Molecule Man gives the power to Richards and he rebuilds the main universe, we get that moment with T'Challa in a restored Wakanda. And I think this is purely here so that Hickman can talk to the readers. Because we fade back into the, the, Marvel's, the Marvel universe with a quote about tradition. Yep. And how excellence has been passed down through generations. And how we remember the past while looking to the future. Followed almost immediately by a giant rocket taking yeah, off. That's right. So symbolically, I think Hickman's acknowledging the past. He's tying the future with it, with a you know similar launch event. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I, I I don't disagree with you. It's technically proficient. It does still feel a little soulless because Hickman. I, I got to lay a lot of it at him. I've always thought he's kind of a bloodless writer who's more about plot than character. I, I always have. A lot of this came from above. Yeah. I think there was definitely at some level a push of let's do a reboot so we're not tied to this. And I think a lot of it's tied to the Marvel Cinematic Universe so we can yeah. cleave off the pieces that we've given to other people and they're not important to us anymore. And in their place, we can build things that we can, frankly, exploit and <laughs> put into movies. Right. We need more merch. And I think... I think because of that, Secret Wars probably came from that to a large extent. But it, it, there was one quote from in this that uh, Hickman put into Black Panther's mouth that spoke to me. It was, great societies are crumbling around us, and the old men who run them are out of ideas. So all eyes turn to you, our children, to build us something better. Yeah. So it seemed like sort of a subtle nod to, all right, we're being told to cancel part of our history. And that's not necessarily a bad idea, but all right, here's a chance to build something just as good. Will it be? I don't know. Shit, you have to. Makes, to... makes you think about the the recent Star Wars re up. <laughs> yeah, but... there's a lot of pressure with that. Yeah, no, definitely. But it's at the very least with this one. Yes, he has laid the groundwork for no matter what follows from this. Everything goes through the hands of these characters that were created by Stanley and Jack Kirby. And I liked that. Yeah. It's about all that I liked from this series. Yeah, no, but if you can pull away something that you like, it makes it makes this sort of finale somewhat less less a product of we have to do this be because the higher ups are saying saying that we have to do it and more uh okay, we're we're clearing the decks to do this all new, all different, even though we know that it's not really all new or all different. Yeah. <laughs> It's been all new, all different every six months for the last yeah. five years. Yeah, it's it, I, I like that he'd say, all right, if we're going to do this, let's at least do it this way with the nod toward it. And in its own way, it's like the nod J.J. Abrams did in Star Trek. Yeah. It's okay. As soon as this happened, it's an alternate timeline. All that shit that you liked is still over there. We're not going to do anything with it. Yeah. But it's over there if you want it. And sometimes that's all you need. I did like Sue also sort of saying to, to Reed, you know, you got to let Johnny and, and Ben go. It, it's kind of, 
acknowledging we roped them into our shit. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and then wouldn't let them go for decades. <laughs> on one hand, I like that because, uh, yes, okay, we're some of the older ones and we're the matriarch and patriarch of the Marvel Universe. They are, they are the Marvel first family. Indeed. So in its own way, it's kind of nice. The, the one thing that struck me, uh, Reed Richards cured Dr. Doom's face. Mm. Didn't cure Ben. <laughs> Dick. Didn't even didn't even give Ben the ability to turn back and forth. Give him the thing rings, motherfucker. <laughs> Let him change when he wants to. We saw the movie. If you believe the movie, Ben's not dangling anything anymore. Let him get his dick wet, for Christ's sake. I want to give Hickman some credit. He's the one who, I believe he's the one who put in there that once a year. He automatically changes back to Ben Grimm so he can go out and get himself laid and get <laughs> shit-faced or something. Alicia, tonight's the night. But I mean, God. <laughs> uh, so should I expect the thing? Will be Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> oh. That, you know, this, this haunts my dreams tonight. I mean, I'm going to be in bed. I mean, you know, curled up under under the covers. And I'm going to be all like, you know, warm and, and dozing off into a, a fine sleep. And you're going to roll over and whisper into my ear. I'm a nasty piece of work. No, no. <laughs> the Mr. Fantastic thing, which would have made you a nasty piece of work. And I would have gone fetal. All right, I, I'm Mr. Terrible. Fantastic. I'm too sober for this. <laughs> oh, but yeah. If Reed's last act in the Marvel <laughs> Universe was to cure Doctor Doom and let poor Ben wander around as the thing. It's so not cool. Dick move, Reed. Dick move. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that that is the only other thing that Trank got right in the movie is he had a moment where a little kid called Reed a dick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when he broke his toy plane. <laughs> So I guess it ultimately, you know, at this point we've gone from the very beginning of the Fantastic Four and where it falls in the Marvel Universe and what it created to what happens when you try to modernize it to the very end of that. Does a Fantastic Four, does it have a place in the modern Marvel Universe? It's been years since it's been a number one selling book. I, I think it's all about what you do with it. And, and honestly, it's gone in so many different directions. I haven't really followed it, so I don't think that I can really weigh in on that to be fair i mean um fraction had his whole um, ff thing and yeah <laughs> um there's you know been the ultimate versions and it's gone in so many different directions i think it's possibly because nobody knew quite what to do with it i mean what do you do when you have all of these different high-powered intelligent super scientist characters like there's only so many of them that you can keep in play and do anything with and not repeat storylines. I suppose that's true. Yeah, it's... I'll, I'll be honest with you. Walking into this show, I was walking in basically with the attitude of, yeah, it's out of time. It, it had its time and place. It was most important and most vital based on when it was created. Yeah. And what it created. But what it created is not unique anymore. DC has been trying to create a Marvel universe worth of comics ever since Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. With huge continuity and and I think it was very successful in the 80s. I think it's less successful in the new 52. But so, yeah, the idea of a Marvel universe where it's the world outside your window and it is a constantly evolving story and every book and it ties to every other book, that, that's not unique anymore. 
and yeah, just the characters themselves. I walked into this very much having the opinion of you can't do it. I think you've had a couple of really interesting ideas and in how you could do it and keep it simple and use a certain amount of the shorthand that was available to Stan and Jack of, of course, these characters and these people would be working together and know each other. And here's how you get this person and this child onto a rocket in <laughs> outer space. Yeah. And so to that end, in terms of, I guess, areas that are currently unexplored because they, they do to do for whatever purpose, try to keep it real in the Marvel universe, even though they've got uh, space jammers and um, <laughs> star jammers. Let's be <laughs> I'm sorry, fair. star jammers <laughs> and um, sword, which is like their outer space. Uh, <laughs> oh, Guardians of the fucking galaxy. Yeah. But, which, which the thing is a member of. Now. Right. And, and the Shi'ar and all of the, the various space adventures that the X-Men go in and then the Avengers to a certain degree as well. One of the things as far as the, on, on the planet level, they don't, ha they don't have any corporations that are working on, on the space front. They have people working on, on the terrestrial front and, um, in the, um, underseas area. If they had wanted to try to give Reed something relevant to do, he would have been working in civilian space and working on, you know, what it would take to colonize. Because that is a very real thing. People are always worried about overcrowding on our planet and, and not being able to utilize our resources because they're going to run out because of overpopulation. You'd think one of those brains out of all of the various super scientists they've created down the line from Reed to Tony to T'Challa to... <laughs> yeah. Why is nobody working on trying to get into space and being able to expand our territory so as to find resources for our fucking overpopulated planet? <laughs> well, and, and that's and all right. Whether this is directly out of what Hickman wrote for Secret Wars or the committee decision, that's where Wakanda is going to be from here on out, just yeah. based on this issue is, yeah, okay, we're going to send stuff up and hopefully people will follow us. I mean, the most and they were doing with, with Reed and his discoveries was, for a while, the negative zone was a fucking prison. Here's your technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, all right, yeah, you're you're a super intelligent scientist and a prison warden. You're, congratulations. Yeah, but it's it's where I'll give some credit to to Hickman and to the the new direction the the recognition that part of the Marvel universe was based on the idea of people were aiming at the stars and aiming to humanity was aiming at becoming more than it was. And we are not as Americans who we were in the early 1960s. We've, yeah. ab we've abandoned space. I mean, Jesus Christ, we've, half of us have abandoned science. Right. It's so, okay, fine. If Marvel Comics was born from that, then we will continue that spirit and we will just say, fine. If this doesn't come from America the way it did in the 1960s, then it would, in a perfect universe, which we can create, it comes from this ultra-advanced country. And hopefully they will be the inspiration for at least the Americans in the Marvel Universe. And so I give them credit that recognizing that yeah, that kind of explorer spirit that drove Fantastic Four because of its time and place, fine. We will, at least for story purposes, replicate it over here. Yeah, and I, and I hope it works out. <laughs> yeah, and certain things are working because of it. I mean, the problem is this book was late. So yeah. we've seen certain things that have already come out of it. You know, Al Ewing's Ultimates 
which is very space-based. Right. And, and also as pure a vision of 1999-2000 Warren Ellis, Brian Hitch, <laughs> widescreen comics as I've seen since that's true. probably the Ultimates. Yep. No, that's so, just, right. Not the Ultimates, the uh, Authority. Uh, the Authority and then Brian Hitch on the Ultimates. Okay. So I was, I was thinking of both of them. Okay, because <laughs> you were talking about the Ultimates and then referencing the Ultimates. and Yeah, well, there's the new Ultimates, <laughs> there's the original Ultimates, and then there's Stormwatch and then the Authority. All of them. <laughs> I just want to make sure we were clear on our threads. The, the biggest comics in the world 15 years ago. <laughs> it's nice to see a, a throwback. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks getting old. So, oh, yeah, 15 years ago. Shit, when I was 30. God damn it. <laughs> so, yeah, just based on this conversation, I'm, I'm a little more hopeful. I walked into this going, God, yeah, that original Marvel Universe dead, never coming back. Can't possibly come back. No, it could. It could. You just have to be willing to think differently. And, and hopefully people will continue to try to work on thinking differently yeah nobody's real good at that we're gonna hope for the best <laughs> if i a somewhat functioning alcoholic can come up with a, a proper pitch to make this actually work within the scope of what lee and kirby originally conceived it can't be that hard i am a large semi-muscular man i can take it it's the closest thing i could, <laughs> I could come up with to what you were saying <laughs> Just didn't get the testicle fest thing in there, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Day ain't over yet. <laughs> Jesus. But the show just about is. All right, anything else we want to... No, just don't roll over and whisper that you're Mr. Fantastic in my ears. <laughs> I try to go to sleep tonight. All right. I beg of you. I promise. <laughs> as far as you know, I promise. <laughs> All right, normally we talk about a couple comics here, but we figured with just the particular scope of what we were talking about, you know, and since a large part of it was about one particular new comic this week. Yes. Yeah, it's... Not going to do a second comic this week. We'll probably go back to our... Ironically, we'll go back to our normal format for, for our 100th episode. <laughs> but, but we may not. We may come up with some cool thing. We, we don't know. We may think of something cool. We'll, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> but all right. In the meantime, is it, uh, should we wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. All right. So, yes. Thanks for sticking with us for this uh, the theme show, which is we used to do now and again. Now it's and again. fun to get back to it. Try to think. If you can think of new ones, shoot us an email. Christ is on infinite midlives at gmail.com. <laughs> Who needs another beer? <laughs> oh, I desperately do. All right. So, yes, as normal, not sure where you found this show, but you can always find us at our home website, crisis on infinite midlives.com. We are on Facebook. That is facebook.com slash crisis on infinite midlives. We are on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at infinite midlife. Mm -hmm. You can find us on Tumblr, crisis on infinite midlives.tumblr.com. And we are on iTunes. And if that is your normal way of finding podcast media, do us a favor and uh, give us a review. Uh, shoot us a rating. It helps new people find the show. We are on TuneIn Radio. We're proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. And again, if you have ideas for the show so that we don't have to have any, <laughs> crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Please help us not to have to think. Yes, it hurts. For the love of God, <laughs> please help us. <laughs> And that is it. This has been episode 99 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. Mr. Fantastic. I hate you. <laughs>